I want to review something quickly that filters and drives. It filters out the things we ought not to do, and it drives us to do the things we should do. God had given me these concepts years and years ago, but I've really kind of kind of moved them to grace to say, this is who we are as a church. Be Mike. If you have trouble memorizing things, the acronym, Bobby's Mike, or, you know, whatever. Be Mike, but be Mike is this, biblical. We're going to be biblical. Even if the world all walks away, we're not. And all, not all are going to bow the knee to Baal, so we're going to be biblical in all we do. We're going to be missional. We're going to talk about that concept a lot today. We're going to be intentional with the gospel. We're going to share Jesus wherever we go. I had a guy take me to lunch, or I met him for lunch, and he tried to almost be a little derogatory. He said, I heard something about you. And I said, what's that? He said, I heard that every time y'all do an event, you or someone you choose has to get up and preach and has to share the gospel. And I thought, yeah, duh. What am I called to do? We just want me to come entertain people? The world can do that better than we can. Why would I just be called to entertain people? When people come here, man, if we're going to shoot fireworks off, how about a firework in their spirit? How about somebody coming to Jesus? How about people getting saved? And he said, yeah, I had heard that you guys always share the gospel and you're always giving the gospel. Well, I took it not as a slight, but as a compliment. I'm like, yeah, bud. And you said you were a pastor. You should do the same thing. You should be sharing Jesus. We're going to be intentional with the gospel. And then we're going to be charitable. Charis, that's the Greek word where we get charity, love, or most often translated grace. We're going to demonstrate grace, giving lavishly of time, talent, and treasure. And so that's who we are. It's what we do. I'll repeat that next week in Life at Grace. Yes, we're doing it on Father's Day. And if you've not taken Life at Grace, man, Pastor Mike has ordered Cracker Barrel, y'all. It's going to be a good time next week. Some of y'all are like, I'm joining again. That's fine. Gathering room, 1030. We'd love to have you. Okay. I have some deep, deep concerns over the state of the Southern Baptist Convention. I guess you could say I was Southern Baptist nine months before I was born. Mother, we grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Then I walked away from church and everything for a while, sang for a number of years in churches of all stripes. But Right now, we're trying to make everything the gospel, and when everything's the gospel, nothing's the gospel. We're trying to make every issue a gospel issue. And the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, was buried and raised the third day according to the Scripture. It's the good news that Jesus makes a relationship between you and God possible through his substitutionary sacrifice. You won't get there by your church, by your money, by your works, by your looks, by your popularity. You won't get there by your skill. You'll get there by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, and that is the gospel. Four couples from grace, um, Cindy and I, the Thomases, who you just saw in the baptistry, the Floyds, and the Lowe's, uh, Jeff and Desiree. We're all going to represent you in New Orleans, leaving this afternoon. We would appreciate your prayers because we've just gotten off track. But from the earliest New Testament churches, Satan has been trying to destroy God's work of man, of man's redemption through Christ. And Paul understood that the devil wants to work from the inside out. And there was this young church called the Church of Thessalonica, and they were an infant church, and they were starting to be persecuted. And the world was saying, oh, you silly believers, you little Christ, that's the word Christian, you little messiahs, who do you think you are? And people were starting to die. And, And Paul was saying, look, I don't want you to be worried about this, Jesus has got this, but I want to commend you for your faith and for your love and for your perseverance, and and I want to commend your hope that you have in God. But he said, I want to tell you that I'm not going to compromise. That's what Paul said. I'm not going to compromise. He said, there are other teachers out there you got to be careful of. Now, there are a lot of churches that are preaching the real gospel of the Lord Jesus. But y'all listen to me. There are some churches that are bowing to cultural sensitivity. 
that are watering down the truth, that are walking away from the truth of God. And, and I want to repeat something I've said here. When y'all called me here, I told you this. Four and a half years ago, I said, whosoever will may come. These doors are wide open, even to the guys like those last week that thought they could make a point with their bullhorns. And they were spouting an age-old heresy. I hope they're listening today because it was an age-old heresy of spiritual perfectionism. They're not perfect. They were making some of you uncomfortable, and they became a stumbling block. That proves they're not perfect. They were wearing body cameras so that when people like Pastor Brian approached them, they wanted that to be seen. And these guys need our prayers. They go church to church to church. They go to larger churches and try to spout their heresy that's been bunked. It's been proven and debunked thousands of years ago, but they're still spouting this garbage. And the reality is the Southern Baptist Convention is getting dangerously close to spouting our own garbage. We're going to be voting on some critical issues this way, uh, this week, uh, one of those being women in ministry. Listen to me. When God calls you to be a Christian, God calls you to be a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All are called to serve the Lord, but he does not call everybody in the same way. Our statement of faith, Article 6, the church says this, the church's scriptural offices are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. That's what the vast majority of evangelical churches, Protestant churches, and even the Catholic church has believed throughout our history. That is the right position based on created order. It's what the Bible teaches, that there's a headship and an authority issue here. It has nothing to do with value or worth. Every church would close her doors tomorrow without the ladies of our church and the ministers of the gospel. But we don't call women to be pastors here because the Bible doesn't allow for such a thing. You can't be the husband of one wife as a woman. I don't care what the culture tells you. You can't be pregnant and be a dude. I don't care what kind of emoji you've got on your iPhone. I don't care what the cover of that freaky magazine is saying. That is a woman on there with a swollen belly, not a dude that drank too much Bud Light. Now, that's a lot of cultural references at one time. But the reality is this. This world is going crazy. And listen to me, guys. Guys like Rick Warren, who have had some parts of commendable ministry, are simply wrong on this matter. He is standing up trying to lead a charge against the SBC to change. And here's the problem I have. Women as pastors is a gateway drug to other forms of liberalism. If you don't believe me, start reading the history of the United Methodist Church in this nation. Read the history of Presbyterian Church USA. Read the history of Lutherans, save the Missouri Synod, who are conservative. Read what has happened when they erode on one issue, they erode on another, and you get on the slippery slope that moves you toward a moderate position into a liberal position. That is what we are facing as a convention. And I will give you my word. If the convention choose to continue to partner with churches that go against our statement of faith, we do not have to be part of that convention anymore. God is blessing the work of Grace Baptist Church. I will not give your hard-earned money or ours. I will not be a steward of that which is corrupting the Word of God. Tennessee Baptists are on point. I'm blessed to be a part of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. I'm a board member, and Dr. Randy Davis is doing a fine job of leading our state. Knox County Association of Baptists, uh, Brother Mike, Pastor Mike Floyd is on that board. We are highly involved. They're doing a commendable job in our local churches. We've got some good, strong local churches. But I'm telling y'all, the convention is off the rails. 
We are missing the mark. We have had our steepest decline in membership ever in the history of the convention in the last few years. Our baptisms have fallen off a cliff while grace is breaking every record known in the church. Most are plateaued or declining, and we've got to get back to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not giving invitations, y'all have any idea how many people come to that kiosk and say, I'm just glad y'all give an invitation. We've been visiting churches and they don't invite people to make decisions anymore. Then what are they doing, man? Close the doors. Why are you out here? He said, well, we don't want to manipulate people. Well, if you don't invite them, they'll never come. Invite them to Christ. Invite them to trust. Invite them to believe. You say, Pastor, you don't sound like a Calvinist. No, I'm not. I'm a Biblicist, and I'm not going to be spouting that garbage. So here's what I want you to know. We are going to study the marks of missional living. We're going to put these in practice. And if you want the warm, fuzzy, cotton candy garbage preaching, I bet you can find it out there if you look for it probably has a colorful flag hanging out front right now. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm serious today. Now, y'all think I'm playing. I ain't playing. My prayer partners had to call me down already this morning. Paul writes, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, watch this, we were bold in God, in our God, to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, watch, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Notice it doesn't say a nursing father. Hmm. Okay. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only, watch this, not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you should walk worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It is perfect truth without any mixture of error. And Lord, I just fear that there are those who are going to come to this convention spouting a cultural sensitivity and look at how the world is changing and in order to reach them we must change too but God you have not called us to rework the baton you have called us to pass it on the faith once delivered to the saints it's been handed to us now let us give it to the next generation who will then give it to the next generation for your glory and for your praise we are not called to be cute or to be culturally sensitive we are called to preach 
the gospel. Help us to do so with passion, with clarity, with accuracy, with anointing. And I believe, God, that you'll bless that. I believe that you'll bring the increase from that, and your word will not return void, but it will accomplish that for which it is sent. Lord, speak. Your people are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so I want to read a quote from the MacArthur Study Bible. And I'm not reformed like him. I'm not a Calvinist like him. But I love Dr. MacArthur because I believe he's a man in his latter years that has not compromised the gospel. For the most part, I'm in line with him on many things. And he says this, Paul used three distinctively different words to affirm the truthfulness of his ministry. That's in contrast with the characteristics of the false teachers. He asserted his message was true, not false. His manner of life was pure, not wicked. His method of ministry was authentic, not deceptive. Now, I'm going to use that same terminology, but I'm going to give you some points to think on here. The first mark of missional living is our message must be the gospel. Thank you to that brother who just sent me the preach with the fist. God bless you. I'm trying. The first mark, our message must be the gospel. He says in verse 3, our exhortation did not come from error. We must be sure that the message we hear and understand and proclaim is not one of error. But how do we know it's not from error? Now, I'm going to be skipping all around this text today, but verse 2 at the end, Paul spoke the gospel of God, even in conflict. I promise you, if you think America's bad, go back to Rome 2,000 years ago, folks. It was twisted and perverse and horrible. And Paul said, I'm preaching in this. Even when he was, remember, at Greece, at Areopagus, there at Mars Hill, and they had the Parthenon right up there, and worshiping all these false gods, these false Greek deities. And Paul said, i got to keep it focused on the gospel. He says in verse 4, I have been approved and entrusted with the gospel. Verse 8, he is well pleased to give the gospel, to impart the gospel of God. Verse 9, at the end, he talks about preaching to you the gospel of God, to never stray from the euangelion or evangelion. It's a Greek combination of words. E-V or E-U means good. Angel in the middle means messenger. You know that, messenger. But the ending we put on it means good message, good message. 76 times in the New Testament, we find this word, this idea of the gospel, the good message, being evangelistic, being evangelical, preaching the good news. Like Paul said to the Romans in Romans 1, he is a bondservant of Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. If what we do in here looks just like what you could get out there, this is not a church. This just becomes another concert hall. This is just another stage. It's not a holy altar. And so we've got to look different, separated to the gospel. I believe contrast and compromise and conflicts in Christianity come when people stray from the gospel. I'm grateful to live in a state where the leader of our convention, now when I say leader, remember, Southern Baptists are a bottom-up organization. We're pastorally led but congregationally governed. So it's not like Dr. Davis at the state convention dictates anything to us. Nobody tells us what we must do or not, which is why we could cooperate with the state we could cooperate with the local association and not send on help to the national if they get off the rails. That's the beauty of our system. There's no hierarchy. There's no presbytery. There's no overarching structure from the top down. And so depending on how the vote goes this week, I promise you, I promise you, if the Southern Baptist Convention takes a leftward turn and goes toward liberalism, I promise you, 
I will come back and ask you to do the hard thing of separating from the national convention and staying true to our state and our local body. But we will not hold hands and sing kumbaya, love, peace, and bacon grease with those who don't believe the Bible anymore. And it's not... Listen, it's not just a men and women issue, guys. It's a gateway issue. That is a slippery slope. Again, study the history of what's happened to the churches in America. And so why do we have so many sects and cults? Why does America alone have hundreds of sects and cults? They, they say they're based on the Word of God, but look at verse 4. Because verse 4 talks about men-pleasers. Paul said, I'm not going to speak to you as one to please men. Verse 5 talks about using flattering words. Now look, if y'all been here at all, I've been here four and a half years. By now, you ought to know I'm not a man of many flattering words except when it comes to my sweetie over there, right? I am not here to puff you up. I'm not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. If you want that cotton candy stuff, go, to, go somewhere else. But then this church, we're going to aim for depth and trust God for wit. And he said in verse 6, they seek glory from men. I know every time I preach like this, just like last week, talking about Muslims, I make our security guys nervous as a cat in a Chinese restaurant. But here's the thing. I don't know what that meant. But here's the thing. Just you, you got to know that if people aren't getting just a little stirred up and just a smidgen uncomfortable, you're probably not preaching the whole counsel of God's word. You got, that's why when, hey, we're going to get to Sodom and Gomorrah in a few weeks, y'all. And if you're one of those that's popped in and believe that heresy, that that's just about hospitality and not homosexuality, you're in for a rude awakening, Bubba, because I'm going to preach it like it's written. We're going to preach the truth about that text and the perversions therein. And so we're not seeking the men, uh, not seeking glory from men. And I think we have a world full of watered-down Christianity. So well, give me an example. I'll give you one. Quote, Eve's eating of the apple in the Garden of Eden was the first free act of the human race. We ought to recognize that, and we ought to celebrate Eve. She began the process of freedom. So stated the Reverend Patricia Bud Kepler, Director of Ministerial Studies at Harvard Divinity School. Now, all of our young men and women called to ministry over there, and you young men called to be pastors, do not go study at Harvard Divinity School. It's garbage, okay? Just going to tell you. Speaking to the Western New York Presbytery, Reverend Kepler said that the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise in the world was God's way of giving birth to people. This minister went on to say that with sin comes freedom and choice. And she asserted that sin brought freedom to humanity. That woman ain't cracked open a Bible in a long time, y'all, because the Bible says that sin brings slavery. Sin comes from a liar and the father of lies, the old crafty serpent who got Eve to fall and then Adam with him. And if you want freedom, it comes in Jesus. And if you want to be enslaved, do it man's way or woman's way. But if you do it God's way, you know that it's through the sacrifice of Christ we have freedom, not through the sin of Eve. At Arlington, Virginia, another so-called minister of the gospel said, quote, We have closed our minds to such trivial considerations as the question of the resurrection of Christ. If you fundamentalists want to believe that nonsense, we have no objections, but we have more important things to preach than the presence or absence of an empty tomb 20 centuries old. 
Friends, there is nothing more important that we can preach and teach that Christ is crucified and resurrected by the power of God because we will not compromise. We must not back down. We will not water down the word of God. And these are supposed to be men and women leading the church and leading our divinity schools and our seminaries. The gospel must remain central. And if the gospel is not central, then something else will take its place like cultural sensitivity. And part of missional living is not living in silence. It is exercising your rights and freedoms to have a voice. We tend to listen, limit missional concepts to going to to a foreign land or something. No. Listen, our message is not politics. Our message is not party. Our message is not a denomination or a convention as we call it. Our message is the gospel. But we as the church must stand up and speak out and stop being silent because there is an agenda to keep the gospel not just out of our schools, not just out of the government, not just out of the media, not just out of your home, but out of the entire culture. And somebody's got to stand up and say, enough is enough. While all of the liberals and pagans run out of the closet, we will not be pushed into it and we will not be silenced as the people of God. I love it because every time I say anything like that, security starts doing this to each other in the room. You are a missionary of Jesus Christ if you are a child of God. If you've said yes to Christ, you are his missionary. You may be disguised as as a school teacher, a doctor, a salesman, a secretary, a carpenter, an electrician, business owner, stay-at-home mom or dad, student, grandparent, the list goes on and on. But you are a missionary. And when we go to New Orleans, where all the heathens go, we are going to be missionaries for the Lord Jesus Christ and stand on his truth. So that's our message, the gospel. The second mark of missional living, our manner of life must be godly. I can't say that stuff in here and go act like the devil out there. Paul said in three, this word uncleanness, he said, that does not characterize my life. Now, look, he, he can't stand the holier-than-thou Christian that, that, you know, these guys out here last week spouting all this sinless perfectionism. That's such baloney. He's not talking about that. He said he was chief among sinners. But what he is saying is that we live humbly before Almighty God. D.L. Moody said it's a great deal better to live a holy life than just talk about it. We're told to let our life shine, and if it does, we won't need to tell everybody it does. The light will be its own witness. Lighthouses don't ring bells and fire cannons to call attention. They're shining. They just shine. That doesn't mean you go out here and keep quiet and your light will just shine. No, you still got to verbalize the truth of the gospel or they'll just think you're a good Mormon or something. But he's saying, shine. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And he said, look, verse 6, we might have made demands, but we didn't. He said, I'm like a gentle nursing mother. Now, what do you know about a nursing mother? What she takes in comes back out through in some form to that baby, right? I remember Cindy nursing all four of our kids. I remember, that's a beautiful picture, actually, as a dad, to see your wife giving sustenance and and nursing your children. I think that's a beautiful thing. And, And 
she always watched what she ate. She wanted to be careful of spicy things. She didn't want to take in caffeine. I remember she loved cheer wine. Cheer wine was developed in uh, North Carolina, I think 1917, but I don't know why that useless fact is in my head, but uh, it's a great drink. But she drank a lot of cheer wine until we discovered cheer wine actually is not caffeine free. I think it's why all of our girls have red hair now. She drank so much cheer wine. I don't know. But, um, it, you know, she thought, but as soon as she found out that um, it, it, it had caffeine, she stopped drinking it. Because even though she liked it, a gentle nursing mother cares more about the health of her baby than her own. And so, um, you know, Christians should have that concern. People are watching us. We're not going to be ugly. I can promise you, we're not going to be ugly. Um, but... If there's opportunity when I can speak to some men, I, I'm, I know quite a few people now in our convention, if I have opportunity to speak and say, whoa, 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 we need to get back on track here, I promise you I'm going to speak up. I promise you they're not going to keep those of us who still believe in the veracity of all Scripture, they're not going to keep us quiet. And I'm not alone. There are other strong preachers and leaders around here that feel the exact same way. You know, Romans 14 talks that we are to, to pursue things that make for peace and edify. So these divisive issues that keep coming up in our convention, we need to deal with it and move on. We don't need to keep tabling it. Table it. Let's, let's form a committee that'll form a committee that'll study it. The committee's been formed. It's already studied the issue, and it said these number of churches are not in friendly cooperation. The problem is we have an appeal process. That's why it's coming back this year. That's why it's being brought to the convention floor. They couldn't simply say, okay, that is enough. We take that. We'll go on our own way. We'll live in peace. They couldn't do that. They want to stir the pot because it's the slippery slope of liberalism that they're getting on. And so I want peace but we're going to have to have peace with those who believe and walk according to Scripture. Paul not only says he's like a gentle nursing mother, he says, I'm a concerned father. I want to encourage you. Parakaleo, it's like the word related to the Holy Spirit word. Um, I want to guide and guard. I want to comfort you. I want to charge you. Martireo, eventually we'd get etymologically the word martyr. I want you to be a witness. And I want to be a witness for you, Paul says. He says, I, I want to testify and implore as a gentle mother and a concerned father, both for Christians and for non-Christians, both for those who are doing it the right way and those who are doing it for greed or spite. I want everybody to know the truth. I want everybody to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Man, look, if people come, those kids, you're going to see them. They're dancing, and they're hoorahing, and they're having a ball at VBS this summer spec this week. They're having a ball in here. It was incredible. But if the guys on this platform, the guys and gals on this platform did not stand up and preach them the gospel, the big story of the creation and the fall and the redemption and restoration of man, if they didn't preach and teach the big story, and they did beautifully, but if they didn't proclaim that, then this week would have been a waste, a total waste of your resources, of what we've given to the Lord. But I promise you, they proclaimed the gospel in big group, in small group, everywhere they went. Those kids had an opportunity to trust Christ. Our message must be the gospel. Manner of life must be godly. Our method of ministry, folks, must be genuine, genuine. He said, look, verse 3, my, method, my motivation for ministry is not based on deception. I'm, do, I'm, I'm just the real thing here. I think we have too much compartmentalized Christianity, church face, church talk. It doesn't look like our real walk. I know pastors. I'll hang out with guys this week, 
and we'll be cutting up, we'll be laughing, probably eating too many beignets, and we'll be talking over a cup of coffee, and they'll talk just like this, and then they'll get on that platform, either at the convention or in their church, and they'll get up there, and all of a sudden they're, hello, brothers and sisters, welcome. (laughs) It makes me sick. I'm like, man, who are you fooling? Why do you have to keep up that pretense? You know what Jesus called that, right? Hypocrisy. He said, you're wearing a mask. You are a pretender. And he says, look, I'm going to be working faithfully and effectively for the Lord. Verse 9, I'm not going to use flattering words as a cloak of covetousness. I'm not going to cover myself up. I'm not going to work for greed or make excuses. He said, I want to be devout. And that's verse 10, devout and just and blameless because God and those around us are our witnesses. And he said, look, verse 8, not only am I going to share the gospel with you, I'm going to share my own life experience with you. That's what Paul said. That's why you'll hear me many times talking about my own experiences or my own family. Because listen, we have our stuff too. Everybody's got their stuff. And there's too much going on to be fighting about secondary and tertiary issues. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. I'll tell you why we're fighting about them. I'll tell you why. Nobody wants to stand up in that convention hall with tens of thousands of Baptists around and say, we have the worst record of baptisms in multiplied decades. Somebody out there better start sharing Jesus. Because here's what the pastors will do. Well, you can't tell me what to do. We're not a top-down organization. I'll do it the way I want to do it. Well, you better start preaching the gospel, brothers. It's just like when we had churches around here closed, 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 closed. And I started taking boys out to lunch saying, hey, bud, you better open your doors. And they said, why? I said, because I'm tired of welcoming your members into our church. (laughs) Welcome, by the way, if you've come from another church. But (laughs) No, I'm, I'm serious. Quit making excuses, man. Open the doors of the church. Preach the gospel. After attending a church service, a dentist said to the pastor, Pastor, I can't attend this church ever again. The pastor said, well, I don't understand, sir. Why? And the dentist said, well, I saw one of your members singing praises to God through teeth she refused to pay for. (laughs) Pay your dentist out there. You hear me? I'm just kidding. People out there are paying attention, but they're rarely paying attention to what goes on in here. They're really not. I mean, we, we, we have a large footprint. We reach thousands more people than on campus every week. And I thank God for media ministry. But the reality is I'm talking about the way we live and act and move and have our being out there. That's what they're paying attention to. And out there, all the media wants to, to do is crucify us to say, well, the Southern Baptists hate women and they don't want women to serve. That's loony. Our two biggest missions offerings in our convention are the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for missions. We have tons of wonderful women in ministry. Our staff here is loaded with good and godly women that are used every day, every week for the glory of God. I promise this place would not function without the women who minister the gospel, but they are not going to stand up here and preach the gospel. Cindy can write the messages, but by gosh, I'm going to preach the messages. I'm just kidding about that. Just kidding. She'd be mad if I didn't correct that. No, she doesn't write them either. The reality is that we've got to be the real deal. 
And there is decency and there's order all the way from creation to now. And it has to do with who we are in Christ. It does have to do with gender. I know the water's muddy right now, but it's not muddy for the true child of God. The Bible is clear. Let a man be a man and let a woman be a woman and define your terms. And if people are confused, ask them, what is a woman? And if they don't say an adult human female, they're wrong. So what are the marks of missional living? Our message must be the gospel, manner of life must be godly, method of ministry must be genuine. In 2019, my first commencement, I used a variation of this at the end of that commencement because I figured the students had never seen anything quite like this for a commencement speech. But I haven't done it in our church, and so I want to show you this thing I've got. And um, probably hard to tell what it is right out of the bag, but let me get it out here. And... Um, it's kind of funny looking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you all what this is, okay? Give me just a second. Now, some of y'all immediately are going to understand what that is. It's going to be a lot easier, though, once I put her head on her. That's a hen, turkey. That's a turkey decoy. It's one of my first ever turkey decoys. I used inflatables for a few years, killed quite a few birds. In fact, was blessed a few weeks ago, the very last few days of the season, to get a nice Jake. That's a teenager. Couldn't kill a big boy because they just weren't around, but they eat the same. So we enjoyed that. But this is a special turkey. What happens is you put a, a female out, and then you put a, a young male out, and it makes the big boy mad, and he swells up, and he struts in, and then, you know, you just go, bam, and you knock his head off. Okay, that's the way that worked. That was especially for all you animal rights people. They're delicious, especially this part and this part. So this one is special though. I don't even know if they make these anymore. This one's got batteries and a weight. So she'll shake her thing and like, woo, look at me. That's a good, I mean, she's like, seriously, come here, big boy. And um, look at that head just going to town. So, you know, it's funny because hunting, I, I've always made all, so y'all can't listen to me with that thing going. I have made all sorts of, uh, I've got all sorts of calls to fool things. I've got predator calls to get coyotes and all sorts of things in our, in our house. I mean, I can make any manner of noises or even with my mouth, you know, just some, <laughs> I can just do these weird things because I've spent a lifetime afield and in the woods and on the water. And I'm telling you, decoys are great, except in the church. Don't be a turkey. This thing may look good from a distance, but if you get up close to it, it's not that great. And you may think you look fine from a distance, but the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord is full of, it looks at the heart. And the truth is, there are some preachers, some churches, and even some out there, you know what? They're just full of hot air. And I want to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it because you're the only one that can. Your spouse can probably answer it too, though. Are you a decoy or are you a disciple? You can't be both. You're either going to be a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ or you're going to be a spiritual pretender. And God already knows the answer to that. God already knows if you're the real thing or not. I'm not saying do you ever struggle. I'm not saying like those guys, I say, are you a sinless perfectionist? No, you're not. Not this side of glory. But you see, verse 12 said, let's walk worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. As the band joins me today, 
I want to say, Grace Baptist Church, I believe, actually, you know what? I don't have to take it down for this service. I'll just leave it right here. I, I believe with all of my heart that um, God wants us to be the real thing. I'll just leave it there. You can think about it. I, I just believe with all my heart that the moment we think it's our calling to change the baton rather than pass it on is the moment we get on a slippery slope and get in trouble. I know a lot of what I'm saying today is not, it's, none of it really is culturally appropriate or um, what's that word they use? I can't even think of it. PC. PC. It's not BC. P, PC. Is that right? Politically. But it is BC. How about that? It is biblically correct. And, and I want you guys to know Paul had a lot of people that doubted him because of his past and he was a bad dude. But he told them plainly, guys, look, I'm not going to try to puff you up or flatter you. I'm going to speak the truth based on a life that I'm trying to live as genuinely as I know how. And then I'm going to swing away. And I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. That's Lewis' translation. But I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you. Not everybody's going to like it. But would I remind us, would I remind myself that sometimes when Jesus preached, people walked away. And if all we ever do is make people feel good, and give them a great song to go and be happy about. And if we don't aim deeper for the heart of the matter and the matter of the heart, then I don't think we're a church. I want to see God's hand on this place so that as we worship and grow and serve together through the years, we can look back and say that has to be, that has to be the hand of God. There's no other explanation for all those folks getting saved, being baptized, joining, becoming part of ministry, the school Again, looking at record-setting enrollment, the largest it's ever been in her history. The church growing quickly by leaps and by bounds, but I think in a healthy way. We, we don't want to grow for growth's sake. We want to aim for depth and trust God for width. But we got to stay centered on the gospel, living godly lives and genuinely loving the Lord and anyone created in his image. These are the marks of missional living. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.